Good morning, everyone. I hope I'm on today. I've had some IT problems, meaning my ignorance is <laughs> causing problems with my ability to get this thing going correctly. But I think it's working today. I hope. No matter how smart you think you are, you learn, try, you get into something else and you realize how ignorant you are on other things. So uh, it looks like it's it's working. I think <laughs> so. Um, all right. Thanks, Lush. He says I'm live, so we're working. I'm gonna try this today. We're gonna we're gonna try to bring a guest in today. I have no idea what I'm doing, uh, as you all know. <laughs> so we'll uh, if it doesn't work, then we'll you know go to something else, and we'll try to do it in another time once you know I get you know someone on my staff that can ex explain to me how to do this stuff. Um. So real quick, housekeeping. So today we're going to talk about some uh, hierarchy of risks and information and prioritizing it. Tomorrow we're going to be going over a potassium Bermuda paper. And then the remainder of the week we're going to be talking about um, uh, nutrition during establishment of mainly cool season grasses. There was some request or some interest in going over that. I guess it's that time of year where people are, are seeding and doing these things on cool season grasses i know i'm seeding my yard seeded my neighbor's yard and um, a lot of folks are um, probably going to be buying some fertilizer and putting it down in the next few weeks so um, i'm going to be going over that on wednesday and or on thursday so i have a couple of papers i'd like to go over um, so <clears throat> look forward to that <coughs> excuse me so this morning if you haven't known by now um a lot of the stuff that I go over, especially the good ideas, generally don't come from me. <laughs> I lift them from somebody else and then somehow it gets attached to me. Um, and I, I oftentimes realize how um, little I know about other areas of science. And so I was having a conversation in the day and uh, about research and evidence and i and i asked the dean like you know can you just come on and explain that to us because i don't really know how to do it that well so this morning i've asked the um dean of research for the college of dentistry at the university of kentucky to come on and help explain to me and to you all you know how we can kind of process information and prioritize information so with that here's dr luciana shaddix now my notes my copious notes I've taken in preparation for this show that you spell your last name with two D's, correct? <laughs> yes. Now, <clears throat> I, I also spell my, my last name with two D's as well. Some people spell it with two T's. So that's, that's interesting. You have your last name is the same as my last name, apparently. Uh, yes, I guess you gave it to me. <laughs> I gave it to you. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> you haven't told people that you're bringing your wife in to talk today. <laughs> well, hold, hold, hold on. Now, what if my wife finds out about this? You, what, you be careful what you're saying here, okay? We got to be mindful that, you know, this is going out. So we don't want any, you know, we don't want her to find out what's going on here. She finds out I'm talking to some other girl. It might be, might be trouble here. So this is Dr. Luciana Shaddix my wife Hello. The, the source of all my um good ideas that i've come up with if you've ever heard of evidence-based turf grass management that came from a dinner that she and i had in fort lauderdale about six or seven years ago and i was like that's brilliant we got to use that evidence-based <laughs> evidence-based what was it called you called it evidence-based practice, practice. Yeah. and i'm like what does that mean so we went down those roads and Dr. Unruh and I developed the evidence-based turf grass management program in Florida centered around that, that language. If you come across, um, reference ranges, the new tissue turf grass nutrient reference ranges that I developed and worked on down in Fort Lauderdale, that was her idea. Cause in their, in their world, they don't really function on like one population of somebody from, you know, south africa or something they, they 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 work on reference ranges of blood tissue and all these different things so they kind of have an idea what what is normal so in your world you'll be like you're, you're looking at a population of 
of youths, well, I'm just making this up, but of youths that have chronic perio that are African-American or whatever. And what you find is specific to that population, right? So that's sort of a reference range that, or the concept of reference ranges came from that sort of background. So anyway, this is, um, this is my wife and she is a specialist in periodontology and she oftentimes talks I, I say she humors me and listens to like all the goofy stuff i say about turf grass and she'll say well in my world you know we have to use the hierarchy of evidence or we we categorize things using you know evidence-based management. i'm like what in the world is that and so we start going down those roads and so we had a discussion the other day about the hierarchy of evidence and how you prioritize information or what how do you like let's say you come across something on a sales marketing sheet from a chemical company. I mean, how do you, how do you categorize that or prioritize that information relative to information on a publication that was, you know, in, in a scientific literature. So oftentimes you're flooded with all this information. Some of it's useful. Some of it's not, how do we, how do we even prioritize that? So that's what I asked Luciana to come in and help, you know, teach me how to do that. So that's why you're here. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> you can all imagine how uh, fruitful our conversations are at dinner tables. <laughs> Nine times. We talk about science a lot. So you must Good. be thinking how uh, uh, boring or, or fun this is. <laughs> we have um, a lot of yes, scientific conversations. Okay. <laughs> dental checkup. Good. Yeah. Yes, oh, I see. Somebody said, I just had my dental checkup. Yay. Yeah. Good job. Um, yes, we, uh, um, yes, I came here and, um, some of, some of the things I'm going to take, talk, talk about today, uh, Travis is going to try to bring it up to your all's world and how to filter information better. So I'm going to kind of bring it up to, in the perspective of dental or, or health sciences, but he will, he will bring it all up to your speed and, and thanks for having me again. Yeah. Um, Sometimes fun. it gets lost. Like it's easy to maybe think, well, what does dentistry have anything to do with turf grass? Well, it's a, <laughs> it's a good question, but in reality, the, the boundaries of science and, and the structure of scientific literature is all the same. Right. So whatever they, they, actually in medicine and dentistry it seems like you all are held much more firmly to those sorts of limitations and turf grass and agriculture we tend to be a little loosey-goosey with some of the um <laughs> uh, with some of the boundaries and limitations that we can explore so um uh, but but the structure is the same so with that let's just move right into the hierarchy of evidence and um let let luciana kind of walk us through this and explain to us you know what is it what what you know and and how to process it now th these guys have been familiar with some pyramids i use a pyramid type diagram when we're talking about the hierarchy of risks in turf grass management so they're somewhat familiar with the concept um but they're not we're not even i i'm not familiar with you know cohort studies and case control studies this is a lot of medical language but what i'm what i'm going to do is what I'd like for Dr. Shaddix to do is to kind of start at the bottom, explain, well, say, explain the basic concept of the pyramid <clears throat> and then start at the bottom. And then I'll, um, translate what she says into what it's, how is it relevant or analogous to the world of turf grass science? How about that? That's great. Okay. Well, it's your show. You want to start off? No. Yeah, so we were talking about this because this is useful for you to how to, how to go from how to find out if information is good, right? That's what it comes down to. If, if somebody said something or somebody said that they read on a paper, is that a good evidence, right? Or is it just, you know, how 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 confident should you be in reading that evidence? And that's that's why we um, we were here today to talk about this pyramid. So the bottom of the pyramid, and then uh, Dr. Shaddix will um, help me point to the figure. Uh, but the bottom of the pyramid is basically where the lowest level of evidence is and the highest risk of bias, but the most of information you're going to have 
is is on that base, right? And as you go up, the higher the evidence, the strength of the evidence is, right? And but the less of the bulky of the information is going to be, right? So you're gonna have lots of information in the bottom, lots of information. Like everybody wants to give their opinion on something, right? Even if it's an expert opinion, they have a lot of people have their own opinions on things. Um, uh, so expert opinions in the, on that bottom. You have background information, like information coming out of um, you know different sites. In my case, it's industry sometimes, or or expert opinions blogging about something that they used or they utilized and they thought that was good. So a lot of this information that and that's a lot vast majority of our information today is on that lower uh, evidence, um, higher of um, level of evidence. It's on the base of the pyramid. So lots of information, but not peer review, not so much evidence based. It's more observational. So expert opinion means like I use a product and I think it worked great for my dental cleaning. Let's say somebody mentioned dental cleaning, right? So I say, oh, I use this product and I loved it. You should all try it. That's an expert opinion. I'm an expert, but it, I just used it on a person and I loved it. Or I've used it a few people and I loved it. So that's my expert opinion. And there's a lot of those out there, right? Blogs and things like that. And 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 sometimes we will have, um, and I'm sorry, my my about my background noise, I have to, I should have uh, silenced all my notifications, I apologize. But most of your opinions are gonna be, and most of the unevidenced or unfiltered information that has no peer review or no evidence base at all, it's gonna be on that base of the pyramid. So bulk, bulk of information, uh, but low evidence and low and high risk of bias. Cause I may like an, a, a certain product that worked well for me and for my patients, but that that doesn't mean necessarily it's evidence-based, okay? So some of it will be and some of it will not. So Travis, do you wanna- Yes, so basically the way, yeah, so the way that comes across to me in turf grass is, um, you're going, you know, a lot of managers and homeowners and DIYers and golf course superintendents, they they receive a tremendous amount of evidence, a flood, I'm sorry, information, a flood of information and I would just say that that the amount of information that's generally received is um, the greatest from uh, primarily marketing. So a lot of the information you'll see on marketing sheets, um, whether it's from a manufacturer or, distrib or distributor, um, it's not that that information should be disregarded at all. Okay, it's that we're not saying that. It's just saying that the confidence we have in that type of information that comes from marketing or even at say a turf grass meeting or something that where where somebody even if it's an, a professor might say um, I, I use this and I saw this and it happened and I, you know we saw a response or whatever that sort of background information is uh, the lowest level of confidence. It hasn't been published. It hasn't been properly vetted. Um, it's just um, sort of noise in the ether, okay, is the way I'm reading that. It's a lot, you get a lot of information from, from, from that level of the pyramid, but we have the least amount of confidence in, in that information. So it, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, and I'm not saying you should do it. I'm just saying that understand that your level of confidence in something should be directly proportional to the evidence supporting it. And right now we haven't even come across any evidence really. It's just, they're giving us information. You know, let's say ABC chemical company says you apply this chemical and it reduces goosegrass population by 80%. Okay. That's just on a marketing sheet. We don't know that that's true or not true. It could be true, could not be true. We, we, we just, we want to have, the proportional or appropriate amount of confidence in that information, knowing that it's at the very lowest level of this pyramid. Yeah. So that's an, an important information there um, to relate to your, your all's field. It doesn't mean that there's no validity to that, right? There's, it doesn't mean that. It just means that you have to check the sources before you trust that to be a good practice for you. For your lawn in this case or in my case is 
I need to check the sources of that claim to make sure it's safe and it's a good evidence-based product or whatever to use in my patients. And Travis mentioned that in our world is much different. Yeah, because we're leaving, we're, we're, we're having to apply this to actually patients. So we need to be careful in how we get the information and how we filter it and how we check our sources. So expert opinions, you know, uh, marketing tools and things like that that Travis mentioned goes below. And it's the vast majority of information. We're flooded with this every day, right? And I tell, I tell my students all the time, be careful what you hear. Make sure you, you trust the source. Right. So I, I teach them a lot about this pyramid. So the next up level up comes the case reports, case series, and these and it could be mechanistic studies as well on that, in that level. So you have a lot of studies that in my world, case reports mean we publish and now it's published evidence. Right. We publish. I have a very rare girl with a condition that is very rare and we treated her in a, in a certain way. I kind of want to tell people what I did and how she responded to treatment because it's not very common you see that that case, right? So I want to publish it. So I go ahead and and publish that and and I say this is a report of a case that with this certain condition and we did this and then this is the result. So that is a case report. It could be a series as well. So I got I treated 10 cases with this specific condition and I treated with this type of antibiotics and this is the result I got. Does that mean it's the best of all the treatments they could have had? Not necessarily, but I just want people to know. And sometimes we report that because in our world, sometimes it's a rare situation. So we want people to know. So we published it. So just because it's published in a peer reviewed journal, that doesn't mean as higher level of evidence. It's filtered somehow filtered, but it's still considered unfiltered information. I'll tell you what, it's it's important because it's peer reviewed. So there are other experts taking a look at what I did, right? So that's good. And it's in, in a nice journal. Let's say I published in a very good journal that ha has a high impact factor. So that's great. It's also good. So it's better than an expert opinion with no public public publishable evidence, right? So it's somewhat of an evidence. So you're higher up on the evidence base. But it's still like just a few cases, one or two cases. And I cannot like trust this um, treatment or whatever it is um, very, very strongly. Does that make sense, Travis? You want yeah, to bring it yeah. to your world? Yeah, let me interject a little bit. So basically what Dr. Shacks is saying is that if you, let's say you go out and you apply um, chemical A to um, your fairway or to your neighbor's yard or your yard, your client's yard, and you see something happen, um, you see a response following that application. That is sort of a, a, a case report. Oh, I saw this happen. Or I, um, I years and years ago, there was a pre-emergent herbicide that came out and people applied it and it actually destroyed a lot of fairways because the rates weren't quite right on, on the organic matter was having an issue or it was playing a role in the efficacy of the chemical. Well, in that case, the superintendent said, hey, I applied this and it killed my turf. Well, it's possible that happened. And then someone else did it and saw the same thing. And that's possible that happened. That's a case report. So in that specific example, it ended up being true that, in fact, they were doing this and the chemical was actually doing what they said. But in many cases, we see we apply potassium and oh, I didn't apply potassium and my lawn died. And the neighbor next door applied potassium and his lawn didn't die. Those are also case reports, but because we have very little reason why we have very little confidence in them is because we don't know what else might have been causing it. We don't know if it was something beyond uh, you know what we actually applied that had that impact because it wasn't randomized, it wasn't properly you know conducted. It was just basically it's a it's a little bit better than an observation. You you did this and you saw that, so it might be something there. But Dr. Shaddock says something critical that we need to make sure we're, we understand is that these on, in her world have been published, okay? In our world, when someone says, well, three, the, three of my buddies across town are applying this product and they're seeing a good response to it, that's not the same as the case reports in her world because we're not publishing any of that. I don't know of any publications that said, oh, well, we applied this chemical and saw this product did this and that was just one one case report, right? So we need to be mindful that we're talking about, we're applying this and we saw that, but it's been published that way. <laughs> 
if you're not publishing it, if you're not actually, you know, presenting that um, in some sort of journal or whatever, then that is a vastly different level of confidence, much, much lower, even though it's still a case report. It's nowhere near the same level of confidence we have in this specific diagram. Is that fair to say, Luciana? Yeah, yeah. So, and again, if you published, again, you go up one level because you published, so other experts are looking at this information and judging it and peer reviewing it, right? So you go up a little bit on the level of, of, of confidence, but at the same time, it's not your all be all, right? Like but if what if we don't publish it at all? What if they don't? What if they see it and they don't publish it whatsoever? But they they tell somebody they saw it, or they would say yeah, something. That, How does that fall that, out? Yeah, that's that. It goes on the purple again. That goes okay. back on the purple, right? That's your expert opinion or your background information. Like, okay. oh, I've tried this. And we do. We clinicians do that all the time. We go to conferences and the clinicians show their best cases and say, oh, this is how I do it. And this is what I use. And it works great. Look at this. Look at this case. Look at this next case. We look at this next case. And in your world, would be like beautiful turf, right? Yeah. Beautiful turf showing up. Beautiful. I applied this. Look, it looks beautiful. I applied this. Look, looks beautiful. But what they're not showing you is what happens if you don't apply? What happens if you don't water it? What happens? If, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so they're not showing the other part of the story so even if you publish you can go up one level but if you don't publish you're back on the purple ah i like that good (laughs) it's still just background information not that purple is bad but you know it's just yeah exactly yeah it shouldn't be disregarded it's just our confidence is much lower in it exactly exactly because you're not looking at different populations or in your case different species of grass you're not looking at the other environmental factors that may be affecting that product performance, say, yeah. you know, water, like, you know, I'll let you speak to that. But, okay. so, you're listening when we're having conversations that you're actually listening. <laughs> That's good. I am. I am. What am I teacher? <laughs> uh, so, so, so I'm like, so going up on that level. So, so now you have experts, background opinions, marketings, and people saying this works in my office or these works in my grass in your case, right? Then you go up one and we have, you know, case reports or case series, like a series of things or just a few cases that are now published. Yeah. And okay, your level go up a little bit because peer review. So now what's the next level up? It's a case control study or, or what we would call a cross-sectional study. So in my world, let's say you, you want to compare people who smoke and people who don't smoke and their risk of heart attack in the future, right? So it's like, oh, I'm going to get... Um, all this hospital data from UK, and I'm going to look at people that had a heart attack uh, versus um, people that smoke versus people that don't smoke, and how many of the smokers versus the no smokers had a heart attack. Okay, that's a case control study. But why is it up on the level? Number one, you're using way more information from a database, or enhanced studies are famous for this. They get a bunch of data from other, you know, different locations. Or even if you do UK database, you have a lot of people. So that's good. But the, but the things that we have to keep in common, and it's a systematic way. So you're like, I'm only including smokers of uh, 10 cigarettes or more a day that have smoked for at least 10 years. So I'm, I'm controlling the population I'm putting in the study. And the controls is going to be never smokers, not even a cigarette a day for at least 10 years. So you're controlling your study very well. And now you're comparing things and you can even control on your statistical analysis or your the way you are now analyze the data. You can maybe even control for other variables such as, you know, um, fat diet and or, 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 or previous history of heart issues and things like that. So you can control for a few factors. So depending on your analysis, it may be a very good case control study. And obviously you're publishing it again and there is a peer review um, uh, evaluation of the expert on the area is going to evaluate your study, make sure the methodology is good, right? Mm. And now you're getting to a higher level of evidence where you're looking at population level, you're having a systematic way of including 
uh, um, studies in to yeah. that to analysis in a specific way to analyze it as well. Yeah. What would be a comparable in your area? Yeah. So I think, and I, I hesitate because I'm not real sure when, as we move up this period, when I'm kind of getting, um, I'll get, I'll get confused here in a minute, but I think in okay. our world, what this would be guys and girls is if you, um, decided on your sod farm, for example, or your sport complex, you decide, you know what? I'm not just going to apply this and see what happens. I'm going to actually set up a little trial on my turf. I'm going to set up maybe a control and a, and a non-treated or whatever. And then I'm going to apply this product to that product. I'm going to set up like a mini little trial on my course, but keep in mind that only counts on this pyramid. If you've published it, if you're not going to publish it, it goes back down to the purple <laughs> because yeah. it's not being properly evaluated by specialists to determine whether or not the methodology was, was accurate and sound. Right. You might have thought you were putting out the trial correctly to see, you know, what happens on my location, which is a great idea. Okay. It's a great site specific um, type of information you're going to gain from that. Um, and that's fine for you as an individual. Well, you saw this, but if other people are going to be convinced that that's what's going to happen on their location across the street, it, it, it goes back down to the purple. It's just background information unless you're going to publish it and unless you're going to go through and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to expose my data and my site, my site to critical review. And then specialists can go through and say, okay, this is accurate. They did this correctly and they, they put it out. So that, is critical though. So the case control studies are, and this <clears throat> are like a site specific little trial you put out. Let's go to the cohort studies because that's something I don't understand. So the cohort studies are your longitudinal trials, right? So you you get a population, uh, and why is it a better evidence? So you get a population specific again, very specific inclusion criteria. I'm only going to include this population in this circumstances X, Y, and Z. And I'm going to apply treatment A in a very systematic way. Everybody's going to get the same treatment. And then now I'm going to look at them through time. I'm look at that same population through specific time points. So I apply the treatment and I look at them, you know, let's say I apply a, a different cleaning agent and I'm looking at them at their gingival index or their plaque index in six months and 12 months and a year. Mm. And then see how they develop caries, for instance, right? Mm. Or caries. So that use your longitudinal trial. Why is it a better evidence? Is I said, Dr. Shives, why is it better than case controls, right? Because now you're applying a systematic way of evaluating the same populations through time. And that's a very systematic way of doing things as well. So you can only uh, caution in this one. You can only say that the treatment is good if it is indeed effective. My cleaning agent is effective against cavities, let's say. You can only say that treatment is effective um, for that population, but you cannot say it's better than X, Y, or Z. Why? Because you didn't compare. You just looked at that one treatment and you looked it through time on that population. So you can say, hey, that treatment worked out great for this population under this conditions. Whether it's better than applying nothing or better than a standard of care that I was already using, we don't know yet until you get to the next level up. Okay, okay. so yeah. if I can interpret that a little bit, it seems to me like that's probably what most people would be doing in my world if they did a little a little application on their site. They're, they're not, they would do an application and they would look at, well, say like on herbicides, it'd be different. But if you're going to apply something, you're not going to necessarily look at it the next day or the next week. You're going to look at it for months over time. You're going to, you're going to see its response, the turf grass response or the weed control or disease control over time. Maybe not for multiple years, but certainly over several months, you're going to look at that. Well, they're going to be able to go out there and when they're golf cart or in the morning, they're going to check on it every morning and just kind of see what happens. And they're going to see that over time. So that kind of that's fairly common in our world if it's published. If it's not published, it goes back down to the purple. <laughs> again, 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 that's a good point too because when you when you published it, uh, the peer review people are going to say, okay, well, did you control for you applied a fertilizer X, right? Did you yeah. control for these other variables uh, like temperature, water? Mm -hmm. Did you control for other things or did you take into consideration I say, I yeah. think it's a better way to say, it. did you take into consideration on your analysis of response, 
the other things that may affect. Yeah, and, and that's critical. Let me and let me just very yes. Yeah, let me just say because what happens a lot of times, and I, and I'm all for people doing trials on their own, but only if they know what they're doing. Because what how, what can happen is that you can go out um, and let's. Um, I don't pick anything, pick nitrogen. It's an easy one. You can go out and you can say, I'm going to apply nitrogen. And then you can say, hey, I saw a response to it or whatever. But you, you, what, what, what can happen is you can become even more convinced that it's actually doing what you think it's doing because you saw it happen on your location. But if you didn't balance things and manage the other variables, at least to some basic degree, your even more stronger conviction could be even difficult, more difficult to 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 get out of to to change your mind even further, and you could be wrong. In other words, if yeah. you're going to go out and do a site specific study, contact you know a scientist or land grant institution, someone, and kind of just give you a basic bare minimum structure of the of the of the study. Right? Oftentimes, when you're doing like zoysia grass studies or you're doing trials or whatever, it's in collaboration. It's in collaboration with a with a with a scientist. Like for example, the breeding um, programs at these universities, they'll put um, grasses on locations and golf courses, and they'll trial them on those locations. Those are very good because the professors understand how they're trying to control for as many variables as they can. If you're just going to go out and not control for anything and put it out, what you find might be true. It might, but it might not be true, but because you saw it, your confidence in it is going to go up when it maybe it shouldn't have gone up. Okay. So it's, it's critical that we, um, at least have some vetting of the methodology so that we were, you know, so that if you do see some response that you, you can have some confidence that indeed it was from that application or from that treatment, whatever you're measuring, not not from some other variable that you did not account for. Okay, now let's get into the randomized control trials because this is where where we come in, where I where I generally step into the pyramid. And that's your highest level. And, and then let me let me just say that in any of these levels, right? I say the risk of bias goes goes low. You know, goes higher towards the bottom of the pyramid and it goes lower towards that top but let me tell you there's a lot of cohort studies and even randomized control trials that still have high levels of bias in it we can talk about that if you don't control for these other things that travis was talking about so so keep that in mind that not ever study just because it's published it's it's all be you know the the, the greatest it is because your level of bias could could could, could be there still but mm -hmm. i mean and if it's a good journal, it's peer reviewed, it's yeah. lower risk. There's possible so bias everywhere on the pyramid. It's just lower everywhere. at the bottom. I mean, it's greater exactly. at the bottom. Sorry. It's greater risk at the bottom. Yes. Um, so the, the, the higher you go, so let's go to the randomized control trials. So that's your, remember we're talking about cohort, right? You have a systematic way of putting a population following through time. The randomized control trial, now you're comparing different treatments, like in a randomized fashion, meaning... Uh, I'm assigning, I'm getting this population that, let's say, the smoker population is smoke 10 more cigarettes a day for a certain amount of years, very controlled, age, this to this, that don't have any other systemic condition, blah, blah, blah. So very controlled. Now I'm going to assign them to treatment A or treatment B. So I'm going to either use, you know, deep cleaning with antibiotics and deep clean without antibiotics, right? You know, peritone disease is high in smokers, so... <laughs> So you're going to use it with or without antibodies, but I am randomly assigning them to these treatments. So I, and, and, and the best evidence is that I don't know the treatment that they were assigned to as an examiner and the patient doesn't know the treatment they were assigned to. That's the best level of evidence. That's a double blind study. Like I'm the, as, as an examiner, I'm blinded to the treatment and the, the patient, as they were assigned the treatment, they're also biased, um, blinded to the treatment. And we can talk about the importance of that. But for the sake of this, I'm randomizing them to different treatments. Now I can safely say if treatment A is better than treatment B, if I have all the conditions of the study really well, which, you know, your, your, your level of publication of the journal that you're putting in and your peer review process is going to help with those things. If I get a good, well-designed study with low risk of bias, let's say I don't have any company of the antibiotics uh, 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 sponsoring this study, that's another one. So everything is checked and it's a good quality study and I publish in a good quality journal, now I can say treatment A and I have enough people in the study, 
I can say maybe treatment A is better than treatment B if the, the, the results are statistically different. But I can only say that to that population, okay? Yeah. So let me so, let me just interject is that this is where turfgrass scientists almost always start. We start, you know, as scientists, we we don't really do any trials or studies, um, very few. Maybe we might do like a pilot study or something, but we do very few studies that are not randomized controlled trials. So in our world of turfgrass and soils, we start there almost always. Um, and so the information that you gain from scientists, that, that's one reason why, I, in my experience, a lot of um, managers and practitioners, they rely upon the scientists. They call me up and say, is that really true what I heard from so-and-so? Because, you know, you all know that when we say A is different than B or whatever, we've, we're saying that because we've gone and we've ran, done a proper randomized controlled trial over time and sometimes different locations, different grasses, different environments. And we have a great deal of confidence when we say, yes, this is true. The A is different than B that we're correct when we say that. Okay. As opposed to anything below that randomized controlled trial bar or line, you know, I have much less confidence in that. So Randomized controlled trials are in turf grass are what you all are used to seeing information from from folks and you know, the scientists. We, we that's very common. The reason it's um, so common for us relative to medicine or whatever is because we can go out and kill grass all day long. I can go spray stuff out and no one, you know, killing grass. And I have, you know, we have a you know research permit to apply pesticides so we can go out and do all sorts of crazy stuff so we can kind of limit we know exactly where the boundaries are in terms of economic and environmental impact and so forth but in in her world you can't go out and just kill humans okay that's you can't you can't do that the the limitations and the boundaries and the control that that they are subjected to greatly reduces their ability to just go out and do a randomized controlled trial okay in our world i can go out and put on a randomized controlled trial tomorrow this afternoon i can do that with no one looking over me no one limiting my ability to do it in her world it's a whole different thing where there's there's boards and governing agencies that strictly control what is done, when it's done, how it's done, who's, you know, all these things. So in their world, when they get to that point, it's a very serious thing. I mean, it's a very, it's a long road sometimes to get to that point. In our world, I can go do it tomorrow. I can jump out there this afternoon and stick something out. So have confidence that in the world of turfgrass science, randomized controlled trials are, are the standard. We do this constantly. So we're, we're going to be a little bit um, quick on the last two or three up here, but Let's move to the green, the critically appraised topics. I don't even know if we talked about that. Um, Lou, yeah, but. so, so I'll, I'll summarize the next three, which is very, that's your highest level of evidence, right? So when you get the randomized controlled trials, remember I said, you can only uh, uh, do, you can only say this treatment A is better than B in this population. If you get several randomized controlled trials in different populations and different parts of the world with more people, now we're getting to more power, right? And higher level of evidence, obviously. And if you get a expert in this area of let's say periodontal disease treatment, a scientist in periodontology to review the literature, what's available and do a critically appraised review of all the randomized controlled trials out there, that's a higher level of evidence than just having one or two randomized controlled trials. And this person will know, and these expert reviewers will know too, uh, that to look into studies that are properly powered, are properly conducted, they know how to look for the trials, make sure they're publishing good journals and et cetera, et cetera. So they know, they, they filter this information even better to say, hey, there were trials only included on this were trials that were like well conducted and stuff like that. Then you move a level up and conduct a systematic review. Now you're putting even more filters to the quality of your review. The systematic reviews have must follow a set of standards that are very, very defined, predefined in order to qualify the studies, the randomized controlled trials into that review. So now we're only getting studies that have properly powered, that have at least, I don't know, 50 people per group. Then you only including studies that the, the, the smokers are really smokers for at least 10 years, for 10 years, for 10 years or more a day. 
And it's, you're, you're really only getting trials that were conducted with a, con a proper control group with no, no antibiotic treatment, for instance. So now you're getting to the standards of like only ran good randomized controlled trials that follow this specific categories are coming into this review and this is the conclusion. So systematic reviews are very powerful because of that. On top of that, and the last part is when you do a specific analysis on those, and that is called the meta-analysis, systematic reviews with meta-analysis, meaning I'm getting all the data from all these trials, and now I'm applying proper statistics to create a number to say, yay, this is really a high effect compared to that, right? So those, those are the highest level. Okay, so let me interpret that for people less intelligent than 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 like myself <laughs> okay so basically the first two or three videos we did a couple weeks ago were review papers if you remember i mentioned the, the iron chelate study paper that i showed that was a review paper um the oh there was another one in there somewhere i can't remember which one it was but when it's a review paper, that paper is not showing you the materials and methods of some specific study that they did. They're reviewing other papers that have properly conducted research and published. Okay, so they're basically um, reviewing the body of literature on a topic and they've properly filtered out something that might not have been exactly analogous to what they're talking about. Maybe it was done on a different type of grass or maybe it was done in a different soil or whatever the case might be. And they're reviewing it and saying, this is what the literature says. That is a vastly different type of confidence I have in that sort of information than even a study that I've published. For example, I've studied, I will get into it eventually. I've published a couple of papers on iron chelates. I haven't gone over that yet. I, to me, it's not, I don't, I'm not as confident even in my own publication as I am in the iron chelate publication that I, with, from, from Lindsay, that when that paper is published in the eighties or whatever, it's vastly of it's of much greater value and much greater confidence than any individual paper within it. Okay, so that's a very great deal of confidence. Now, above that would be if Lindsay or so the same thing. Well, hang on, before I go above that, the Petrovic nineteen ninety paper, which I'll eventually go into, is a is a review, a systematic review of the fate of nitrogen applied to turf grass. It has 30 or 40 different um, papers in it that it talks about everything that occurred and sort of the general consensus of what may happen when you apply nitrogen to turf grass. So that's that's a very strong paper, and it's one of the most cited papers in turf grass science that I'll, I'll definitely go into. But above that, imagine if Petrovic took all the data from all those papers and analyzed them sort of in a pool together all the data not just say this is what happened here this is what so-and-so found this is what Cesar found this is what Snyder found but took their data from those public publications put it into a single database and analyzed it systematically through as, as a single set of data that's the meta-analysis that's the that's the greatest amount of confidence and the highest level of evidence that we can possibly obtain and the least amount of bias still biased there's always going to be bias but it's, it's the greatest amount of confidence that we can possibly obtain is from a meta-analysis of the existing literature. Now, the reason why it's at the top, not just because we have greater confidence in it, is because it's almost never done. I don't know of a meta-analysis paper that's been published in Turfgrass, and I'm sure there's scientists out there that can point me to, that, to where there's examples of that. But I don't know of one. I know of 10 or 20 systematic review papers but not a meta-analysis where you have access to their data and you can actually reanalyze and you know do a, a much more much ac much more accurate comparison of what what occurred uh, among among all the papers. So that's is that fair to say, Luciana? I mean, in a nutshell, that's yeah. what a meta-analysis is. Yeah, the meta-analysis is the highest because it has a proper analysis of all the data as an aggregate, right? Yeah. As aggregate. So in my world, it's really important because it looks at different populations in different uh, with different conditions. So your risk of bias are now is now much much reduced because now you're looking into many 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 different world, many many different populations with different conditions. And even if you have some noise, say you know other systemic conditions that were not completely completely adjusted for or. Uh, 
into the analysis in all these studies, at least it's going to be washed out because now you have so many people that are showing the results is actually better for treatment A and then treatment B that it kind of washes it out. So be aware of where you're getting the information from and um, how, how the information is, is, is going to help you in, in terms of the level of evidence that it brings to, your, to the table is very important. I guess that's the take-home message of this whole talk. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just important when we're, when we're, if we can sum this whole thing up, when, you know, when you're, when you receive information, which happens every second of your waking day, basically, you know, it's critical to be able to have some sort of governor or filter on your, on your acceptance of that information as whether or not it's true or not. And it's it, it's not it's not that um, any any information should necessarily be disregarded. You know, it's just that our management practices hopefully will be based upon the the information that we have the greatest amount of confidence in, mm-hmm. and 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 so you won't really see a lot of BMPs come out on a brand new chemical that just got released because we don't have much information on it yet. You know it's not to the degree that we have much confidence in actually including it as a BMP. For example, just use, use a machine. <clears throat> I'll leave the brand names out of it. But there's some new machines that um, aerate the soil. <clears throat> Excuse me. That may be a very good instrument to use, right? Um, but we don't have much data on it yet. So whereas core aeration and solid time aeration and pencil time and all these other aeration uh, methodologies. We have data on those and those are often included in best management practices. Um, so it's not that it's not the information you gain at the very lowest level is not valid or accurate. It's just that we should have little confidence in it. In order to put it in a best management practice, a scientist has to have a much greater level of confidence, meaning a randomized controlled trial at the minimum to be able to have enough confidence to include it as a best management practice. And even best management practices, they take not just one or two randomized controlled trials. It takes several over many different locations to really have, you know, sufficient convincing information. Say, okay, you know what? We we're going to recommend this because this is pretty good. We've seen it in multiple occasions. We kind of understand it to to the degree that we're we're confident we can recommend it, and it's going to result in you know whatever it's you know claims to be. It's probably true, basically. Is that, so that that's sort of to sum this whole thing up. There was a question in Discord whether or not I'm going to convert this pyramid into like the turf grass conversion of it or ver- version <laughs> of it. Um, I, I will. I probably would have already done that, but because I don't <laughs> fully understand every single level of the pyramid, and in our world, it's this is very very common information. They teach this and so forth. But in my world, we don't really go over this. In fact, I don't think I've ever even seen that until until you brought it up, Lou. So, um, yeah. So whenever I feel, in fact, I'll probably redo it and then have her look at it and say, is this exactly analogous to what you're, you know, what you do? And then I'll, I'll be happy to, um, go over that pyramid again, um, just by myself or I'll post online or whatever. And, and, and so you guys can kind of have an exact analogous. I tried to do that, you know, here as we talk today. Um, but I understand you might find more value in seeing the diagram yeah. with, with turf grass. Information yeah. And another, it. and another, if I may you know, chime in is another great resource is for you. And I teach that to my students all the time. It's like, here's the level of evidence that you should be aware of, right? If there's a new toy coming out of the market that you want to use, be aware of the evidence behind it. And if it's a new toy that you don't have enough evidence on it, make sure number one, is it safe, right? Because they have to have like for a drug to come out or a toy to come out, device to come out, they have to, I call it toys, but they have to have FDA approval in my world, right? In your world, I don't know what kind of approval you have to go with, but they have to have minimal standards to say, is this safe, right? And then number two is, what's the level of evidence? Is there at least biological plausibility? Meaning, meaning do you, is it making sense to use this? And it's not going to be, obviously not going to be harmful um, that you can try. Right. So so those those are the things that I teach my students. And the third thing I teach them is how to search for the data. So that may be something that you bring up. That's um, what we've been doing. Yeah. So at each of my each of the podcasts, I try my best to show this is how I found this information. You know, this is where you can go find this information. I've mentioned Google Scholar. I've mentioned Turfgrass information file. 
you can go to the actual ASA or the American Society of Horticultural Sciences and search their websites directly if if you you know can't seem to find it elsewhere. So I do I do try to at least in each video to kind of provide a little bit of um, you know guidance on where to go find that information. It's critical because a lot of people they're busy. I was telling people I mean maybe I'm wrong but you know you guys are busy paying bills and paying you know, school tax and social, I mean, your businesses are busy doing a lot of things. You don't necessarily have time to sit and search the literature and find all, you know, all this information. Um, so if, if you are inclined to go, go to, to go do that, I try to, I try to help provide some guidance yeah. on that. Yeah. And then we have a, we have a class that we teach our students exactly how to do that. You know, how to, how to go find the evidence and really? how, I mean, Critically appraised reviews are, are really a great start. If you have a review on the topic and it's published in a very respectable journal, it's a good way to start, really? right? And if you don't, then you go down on okay. whatever level of evidence you have available. So so your website, I don't know if you have this, Travis, you mentioned the ASA website that might have some, like we have our periodontology website has some commissioned reviews, AAP commissioned reviews, American Academy of Periodontology commissioned reviews. And I always point my students to those. And if you don't find there, here's how you, yeah. other areas you can find. So that that's very helpful for those who are starting to okay. look at comments. Any last minute comments before we say goodbye? No, good luck with everything. I hope uh, this is going well, I, you know, Hopefully, you get to teach you know people what science is telling us, and in a, in a in a way that people can understand better. And that's something that we deal with it all the time. It's like what the scientific literature show and what people understand um, are two different things. Even clinicians that are not scientists, you know, so we have to translate that information from the scientific literature to our end users um, um, in a better, effective way. So um, hopefully, you'll. You'll be helping them do that, exactly that. So I appreciate awesome. being here today. Thanks for having me. Great. All right, we'll, we'll shut it down. Remember, tomorrow we'll be um, going over a, a um, we'll be going over a, an article tomorrow um, about uh, potassium. The next day it'll be fall fertility. Um, really appreciate Dr. Shaddix for coming on, and um, we'll we'll close it down today. Look forward to seeing you all tomorrow. Sorry I couldn't really respond to a lot of the chat. I was kind of busy trying to do all this other stuff. But um, thanks for everybody for showing up. See you next time.